0: Today, I had the privilege of talking with Dr. Stuart Dessen, CEO and founder of Lumina Learning. Stuart talks about how he transitioned from working with numbers to people and how he now combines both interests in his work with psychometrics. Thirteen years ago, he made the leap and embraced his entrepreneurial ability to launch and grow Lumina Learning, now a global organisation. With a focus on selection and development, Lumina provides invaluable digital tools to organizations worldwide. Being a huge fan of Lumina myself, it really was an honor to have this time with Stuart. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So massive welcome to Dr Stuart Dasson, uh, joining me today in the studio on the podcast Career Stories from the Field. Welcome Stuart, it's an absolute privilege to have you here.
1: Well I'm delighted to be here Penny, thank you for inviting me in, I'm looking forward to what I might say.
0: <laughs> me too, very much <laughs> so. So let's start, just give us an overview of uh, of what you do, uh, what your title is and, and just a bit of a flavour of uh, of your everyday
1: okay so i'm the i'm the ceo and i'm also the founder of a company called lumina learning what does lumina do we're a selection and development company and at our heart we have innovative psychometrics and cool apps that's the gist of what we do so i'm the ceo i've got 50 odd staff i've grown it over the last um you know 13 13 years from a you know just Working literally in my kitchen by myself with some good ideas to recruiting one software developer and then a you know a psychologist and and so on and so on. I just evolved it um, organically over time, and we do it all over the world. So the stuff we've created, it's in Dutch, German, Chinese, Japanese, and all the key key languages in the world. Yeah. So what do I do day to day? I endeavor to do my best to manage that business as a you know an interesting. Complicated organisation, which at times it's a bit like the United Nations, because I I literally do have dialogue with people from Israel and different uh, countries from the from the Middle East. All, all manner of interesting um, things uh, going on with the people that we work with globally.
0: Ah. Oh fascinating. uh you know i'm am I'm a massive fan of of Lumina myself but for those listening can you give us a, an insight into what uh selection and development is plus psychometrics just so people understand how it fits into the world of work
1: okay yeah because i get uh, i'm immersed in it but it's it's pretty niche and to people starting out their career it, it could be a bit of a a mystery or even a dark art so well I mean, selection and development, all organisations, large or small, need to recruit people in. They need to select them and, and choose the best. All of them then need to onboard them, get them jazzed, and all of them need to develop their people even if they don't realize it so some unenlightened companies uh you know select badly recruit their mates or people in the image of the boss and they don't develop people they think people should come perfect and 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 pre-done that's a sort of a dated perspective so we bring a bit of science to the art of how do you find the best possible people for your organization and a huge amount of um you know ingenuity to how to develop people because guess what if we if organizations develop their people, they tend to be more loyal, uh, harder working, uh, and grateful. And guess what? As they develop, your organization develops as well because the capacity of the people increases and you have uh, better people over the long run. So you can sort of promote from within as people organically grow rather than having to bring in always new people because uh, you're lacking talent. That's the that's the gist of it. And, uh, you know, my take on it, partly it's it's psychometric um, i'm into I'm into numbers and measuring stuff, but in a sort of accurate and helpful way, so I like to measure people's different ways of being, what sort of strengths they've got, so we can help them figure out how they can do different jobs and be the best that they possibly possibly can.
0: so how does psychometrics fit in with the selection and development process
1: so Selection development is traditionally uh, pretty much an interview someone process. That's the key tool that's been used for a couple of hundred years to select people. Developing people has typically been a bit of a a coaching or a mentoring dialogue with your boss or a training course. Psychometrics add some science to this process and another dimension. They don't replace what's gone on before, but they just up the, the validity and the quality a bit. So in selection, what we do with psychometrics We analyze a job with a job description, say someone's an accountant. We look at the key skills, competencies, the traits that are required. And Then from our research, we know if you measure your personality, we know certain traits in a personality have no impact on the job and certain other traits will actually help you do the job and some of them could hinder you in the job. So we measure your personality. Are you introverted, extroverted? Are you empathetic and kind or argumentative and direct? Are you very emotional uh, or are you very calm and resilient? Are you full of good ideas or are you a sort of a person that just gets stuff right? We look at all these things. Uh, we profile the job and then we're able to say, based on how you feel in the psychometric questionnaire, how suitable this job could be for you. And we can give the interviewer really cool interview questions so that when you go for a job, you're getting questions that are quite incisive based on who you really are. Now, in development, what we can do is we can look at someone's role and we can say given this is the role given this is your personality you know you're an enthusiastic extroverted person but with a lot of discipline you know how would you go about being you know a creative marketing executive and we can give pros and cons for that role and some development tips which can support a manager or support a coach who's trying to develop people so very much in the modern world, psychometrics need to be integrated into selection development. And to bring things really up to date, they need to be digital, they need to be on your phone, and they need to be um, integrated, and they need to be kind of cool and fun. If you go back uh, 30 years ago, psychometrics were not cool and fun.
0: <laughs> um, no. <laughs> but,
1: but, but now we have the possibility of that with the technology. And um, if we want people to really use them, we do need to make it cool and fun. So that's what I work on in my company is how to make these things engaging and helpful and and useful i guess the the old days 30 years ago the purpose of a psychometric was to make the the uh the person in charge seem clever by knowing stuff about you penny that you didn't know about yourself that's old school thinking what we want to do is give you helpful stuff so you can figure things out for yourself uh, and develop yourself and i'm going to be a you know more of a catalyst for that that's the uh that's the secret formula really
0: No, it's it's fascinating stuff. And Lumina does do it so well. So how did you get into this?
1: yeah so i mean i've done multiple things in my career so i'm not sure how i should answer that i could start with where (laughs) i am and work backwards or i could go to the beginning and work forwards but in a in a nutshell what i'm doing now i'm you know 60 years old it it is actually the culmination of multiple roles in my career that have all come together and lead me to conclude you know what i want to be an entrepreneur i want to set up a, a business I want to do psychometrics. I want to create apps. I want to manage people. I want to coach. It all, it's all different things that I've done over the course of my career blended into one beautiful job description that I've created for myself. So um, that's... That's
0: the best type of job description to have. One it, is, it is. It is. It's sort of self, self, <laughs>
1: self-crafted. Yeah.
0: I mean, if it's a combination of, of previous roles, previous experience, what particularly do you enjoy about being an entrepreneur and running Lumina Learning?
1: well i'm a if you like i'm a late developer so i haven't always been an entrepreneur i've been uh, an entrepreneur explicitly for 13 years uh, it was always in me to be an entrepreneur even when i worked in large organisations and also in smaller ones i had a, a desire to create new things and want to you know challenge the status quo uh, and be and be quite energetic so The role I have now is is my vehicle for expressing that part of who I am. So my view on work, which is a pretty humanistic view, is we we need to find purpose and meaning in our work. It it needs to be something that's rewarding for us. So I'm sort of I'm influenced by the um, psychologist Viktor Frankl, who wrote an an awesome book called Man's Search for Meaning, at the end of World War Two, and in that he, you know, on the downside, he says if you can't find meaning and purpose in your life you know, you're in trouble. Uh, and if you can, um, you, you will spiral up, which is a pretty much a humanistic take on the world. So, yes. um, you know, my, my work is what I enjoy and want to do. And I want to try and spread some of that purpose to other people to help other people in their own unique and different ways find their purpose and and, you know, create a meaningful life.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. It's interesting. So many people that I, I talk to are always interested and, and have a desire to start their own business. But there's many blockers and factors why they might not do it. And probably the worst ones are those those limiting voices in their head. Well, yes. Tell us <laughs> when you made that jump to start Lumina. What? How did you make that happen?
1: Well, I would say I, I set up Lumina thirteen years ago. But if I go back, you know, a good twenty-three years ago, I did have my first attempt at being an entrepreneur that was, let's say, a great learning experience, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but didn't didn't result in the in the in the you know the booming business I hoped for. But really was a good learning experience. So sometimes you have got to stumble around a bit. Maybe what I learned the first time round is that just because I have great ideas. Uh, doesn't mean people will want to buy anything. (laughs) Maybe that's what I learned 20-odd years ago, because multiple things need to be um, aligned. So firstly, I needed to have access to enough money uh, to see things and get things going. So I I partly did that by, you know, remortgaging my house a little bit, borrowing a bit of money uh, and and something from my savings. So I had to plan for it for a few years. So you need the finances in place, so sort of a tick uh, to that. Um, I think you've alluded to the most important thing is, is your mindset. You know, was I ready to take the risk to be an entrepreneur, was I willing to sustain myself for, you know what I thought would be 3 to 6 months but turned out like 12 to 18 months you know without a strong income but needing to hold the faith that what you've got is is going to is going to work so you need quite a bit of resilience so I did put in place uh, you know I had I had um I had a couple of people coaching me through the process so that I could uh, stay on a you know an evil keel before it's just the finances the sort of the the right mindset and coaching support i mean obviously you have to have an idea and a vision if you're going to be an entrepreneur. So yes. that had come to me over a decade, really. I could see in the selection and development market, many psychometrics were a bit old school. They didn't have any cool digital apps. And most importantly, I felt passionately they were a bit biased. Now, this yes. came from my personal experience if I if I wind the clock back a long time ago I had someone do a psychometric on me when I was in a corporate job and I found them sort of labeling me and pigeonholing me and I Mm. didn't like it I didn't know why I didn't like it but it stuck with me they're trying to they were trying to say are you a thinking person or a feeling person you know are you a logic person or are you a an empathetic emotive and I was saying I'm both please I'm both (laughs) and and they wanted me to choose and fighting against essentially what I didn't realize but what I was doing at the time was fighting against Somebody imposing, you know, a psychometric model on me which didn't yeah. sort of fit. So I had this sort of burning desire to try and do something more expressive and open that really lets people be who they are uh, and doesn't force them to fit into a, a type. So I had that burning, passionate, burning desire of my own um, to to bring that, if you like, to uh, to the world. Interestingly, you need resilience to be an entrepreneur because in those early yes. days, most people didn't get what I was saying. So I went to a lot of conferences. I spoke to a lot of people. I did experience you know, quite a bit of rejection. I remember at some conferences, people saying, well, who are you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so on. (laughs) So, you know, I had to face that and have confidence that my ideas were good. But here's the thing. I went to um, a brilliant talk by a professor called Tomas um, Mm -hmm. from UCL many, many years ago. Uh, He'd done research on entrepreneurs. And he said, of all the things that you need to be an entrepreneur, what one in all his research comes to the top? And I filled these questionnaires. And interestingly, the top thing that, creates an entrepreneur according to his research is that you've had a really bad experience of a really terrible boss because people basically leave jobs when their bosses are not good that's normally why we leave and if you've had a boss that really pisses you off by doing stupid things to you and not believing in your ideas that causes entrepreneurs want to, to want at some deeper level to to make it work and prove that they can yeah That's and there was you know there was an element of, of that for me i've had a a number of um, of dodgy bosses over a couple of decades although i do need to also confess that if you keep thinking that your boss is trying to control you and dominate you and make you do this and do that and you've said it for like five bosses on the row you have to reflect Maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. (laughs) Maybe I'm just not suited to work in a big company. So let's not blame the bosses. Uh, Yeah, let's just say there's something in me that wanted uh, wanted to do this. Oh,
0: no, incredible, incredible. If you've worked with me before, you'll know just how much I value using Lumina as a development tool in coaching, team development and leadership training. With all the digital tools available, Lumina allows people to gain a fantastic insight into their personality, giving them the ability to understand their strengths, areas for development, and how they behave in stressful situations. When working with teams, this insight really does help people understand their colleagues better, communicate more effectively, and build collaboration. Using Luminous Spark to help you with career transition is also highly beneficial as it allows you to map your strengths against skills you want to utilize, transfer, or build in a new role. It also allows you to understand why certain tasks might not be particularly enjoyable for you and exclude them from your transition where you can. You can find out more on my website, which can be found in the show notes. Now, back to Stuart. So, with the 23 years of experience that you talked about, do you want to give us a bit of a whistle stop tour in terms of how you got to that point?
1: Yeah, well, I, I'm a bit older than you actually think. It's even more than 23. So I'll go <laughs> back. I'll go back to the beginning. So I mean, you asked. me yeah, if I go back to like where, how, how did it all start? The truth is, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, uh, my dad, of course, had good ideas for for what I wanted to do with my life, and um, I'm. <laughs>
0: Are they anything
1: like what you're doing now? uh, They're they're sort of related, but they are different. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, John Cleese interviewed when he said uh, he got his first job at the BBC and uh, he'd been on the radio for the first time. And uh, he rang up his dad to tell him with great joy uh, that he'd done that. Did you hear it, Dad? I was on the radio. And his dad replied, very good, son. But uh, I hope you know, like I've said all your life, accountancy is always there for you. (laughs) (laughs) and he'd always wanted him to be an accountant which is why monty python was so hard an accountant. well there was a bit of that from my my dad uh, uh, bless him he he was quite keen on on numbers and accounts and things like that. so he was trying to steer me in that direction. um so um and indeed like my first ever job was a was a job in uh, in, in finance. okay. and so um you know, like it wasn't my passion. It was an interesting experience, but it wasn't my passion But because it wasn't my passion. You know, I could only sustain it for a while as I, in my early twenties, started to try and figure out what do I really, really uh, want to do. So the first time that I grabbed hold of my career was, would have been when I I met somebody at a a paint factory in Manchester and he was, (laughs) um, he was scheduling the paint factory and deciding which color paints they do. And Uh, What batch sizes should be and everything, and I said that sort of sounds interesting. How do you do it? And he showed me a load of equations uh, that he'd written down, which included a square root sign, and I was completely gripped by the idea that you know what I learned at school in maths with square roots could possibly be used in any way to schedule a factory. Yeah, and so that was. That did capture, believe it or not, um, I was a bit nerdy in those days, that did capture my imagination. And it caused me to want to go off and do um, you know, a master's degree in the area of, of, you know, how to how to plan factories using masks, something called operational research. And indeed that like. was the the first job that I got after. I was really quite thrilled to be applying a bit of a bit of science to logistical uh, areas. I ended up working at uh, British Airways, which has got all sorts of interesting logistical challenges, you know, at airports and rostering staff and scheduling airplanes. And so I worked in quite a, at the time, I'm afraid to say, Penny, it wasn't such a cool job everyone thought you were a bit nerdy to do that nowadays it's become cool you can say oh I'm into analytics and maybe exactly. I'm using AI how cool is that but
0: <laughs> <laughs> back in um, the day
1: yeah so um I was sort of doing a bit of a bit of all sort of that and then I gradually went through a, a transition at uh, those days I was like into numbers really not people I wasn't really big yeah. on on empathy (laughs) that's big on (laughs) logic
0: yeah and
1: then something happened over like a 10-year period and um you know, as they do in companies, you're good at something. So they promote you to be the manager. Yes. Uh, and then you realize it's a different skill set. So I gradually went through a transition where I realized that it's not the numbers that matter, it's the people. You know, a number of people were brave enough to try and coach me to be a become a people manager. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after a few attempts, I sort of evolved into a people manager with some good support and training. And that caused me to want to change career direction. So I woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm pretty passionate about people. What motivates them? What makes them tick? So I, I changed direction and did a, a part-time masters um, in humanistic psychology in parallel, actually, uh, with continuing to do uh, my day job, as it were. And then after maybe three or four years of building, building some alternative skills, then I was ready to take the plunge and change direction into what I've just described earlier as you know selection and development. Right, so, um, so a bit of a bit of a, a career change and. Yeah. Um,
0: so yeah. tell me about that career change, because, I mean, you know, you've done a, a numbers related degree, mm. you're working in a, in a very analytical environment. As you say, that transition from numbers to people is, is quite, a, is quite it's a, leap. a big one. And then, yeah. Yeah. To absolutely apply that to a new career is quite a jump. So, again, how did you know what, what was the process that you went through? So many people want to change career and they have no idea where to start and how their skills are transferable. How did you go about it?
1: Yeah, I would say I did it in a very um, evolutionary way. And then you wake up one day and it's it's just about happened. So um, I was in in a very analytical sort of area and I eased into being a supervisor and a people manager. And then over a number of years, I just made sure I got myself trained up in, in best practice around managing, recruiting, selecting, developing. And then when the opportunities emerged, I reached out to the HR department and said, hey, can I, can I give, offer you more support and be involved in some of the design of these things? And over a number of years, I, I sort of built some skills in parallel with doing my core, my core job. Until eventually there did come a point where you need to jump. <laughs> there did come yes. a point where like, okay, now I am going to get a different job. And that is the critical point. So in truth, it did involve um, a temporary a temporary pay cut. Because if you go from something yeah. where you've been doing it and you're expert for 15 years, uh, you know, I had to acknowledge there would be a slight step back. So, you know, for a few years, it involved rebuilding my skills in selection, learning and development and so on. And that's, you know, when I thought at the time, hey, I did a master's degree in operational research to to learn about numbers. I think I'll do one in humanistic psychology. There's something yeah. in me probably does come back from my dad that studying is a good thing. So that's burnt onto my brain at some level. Well, and then I simply evolved into it. And one thing, one thing led to another. I guess one interesting thing was I did a lot of selection and development from a very, uh, you know, humanistic type space. And then after, and I sort of almost disowned numbers for a while as something that I'd done. And then at a certain point, what got me interested in psychometrics was realizing that psychometrics are really the bridge between the world of people development, selection development, and, you know. My 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 previous background, you know, being very analytical, so um, it's like the
0: pendulum swung and then did. came back to the middle. <laughs> it did, and
1: then I worked at Woodhead, thinking, "Hey, you know what? I can combine these things that I'm good at." So I was really looking to combine things I was good at and also that I um, enjoyed, mm,
0: um, felt strongly about. Yeah,
1: it? so I mean, I I worked for a long time doing that that sort of work, and it it was through experiencing the good the bad and the ugly in the world of psychometrics and learning and development that i eventually came to the conclusion through a lot of experience that i thought if i was a true entrepreneur and set stuff up i could do it better i'm hoping i'm not uh, i'm not uh, arrogant in that regard but i yeah, you know had no. a passionate belief i could add add some value and so set about doing that you know set about creatively figuring out what would be a, a step forward in organizations for psychometrics. And that really was the birth of the business. Again, it was organic, you know, it wasn't like a complete transformation overnight. It was sort of creating certain approaches, um, uh, you know, winning a few training courses and, and starting small and then growing it um, growing it over time. So as an entrepreneur, I think I've learned that um, if you don't grow, if any employee doesn't grow with their business, you do get stuck and end up in the same job, you know, forever. But if I could keep stretching myself, getting feedback, and sometimes it's painful, then as I grow, that enables, you know, the organization I'm with to grow. And my role changes as the business grows. So, long may that continue
0: long may that continue i think you've 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 um, you've touched on two really interesting points and i think career change doesn't have to be an event it can be a process can't it like what you say you were you were you were going out and doing your own courses you know getting a degree in humanistic psychology asking HR for opportunities. And so you'd actually built up a lot of experience whilst still in your job. So you had that that repertoire of of experience and new skills to to turn to to change job and change career. Um so it's you about are right. I think it, I think it? you
1: need to try different things, you know, mm. and see how it works and take small steps and then it builds up. So um the worst thing you can do is be is be too timid and not try different things. You've got to be willing to let things fail you've got to be willing that some things will go wrong so so let them go wrong but hopefully they'll go wrong in small ways not big ways yeah exactly (laughs) you know I can mean I can look at the you know I've described to you what I do with Lumina and selection development we've got some cool apps and so on Uh, we've got some that completely failed as well that I won't tell you about
0: (laughs) (laughs) because you've got to try things and it was too
1: ambitious or the technology didn't work or my idea just it didn't work in reality when I explained it to other people who weren't excited so you need to listen I think uh, and evolve
0: well you cannot succeed without failing along the way can you it's just those two go they go hand in hand uh to a large degree don't they
1: they do i've had i've definitely had my uh fair share of uh failure yeah that's uh that's, that's <laughs> any any
0: any great stories to share with us
1: <laughs> um let me try let me try and think i mean um well i mean if i was to uh, it's sort of generally speaking in my career i've been involved in many many software projects and at least half of them end up overshooting and going horribly wrong and one thing that i have learned is that it's uh when i'm doing it with my own money which i do now my business it is it is better to be agile it is better to start small and test things rather than going for big bangs that take two years and then find out you know the operating system didn't work or something Uh, and
0: i suppose that's that's similar with with you know starting out with lumina it's like you had a concept you had an idea and you had a you had a set of values, I imagine, behind what it is that you were trying to, to achieve. And it's, it's small steps, isn't it? Small steps towards achieving that, that overarching vision. It's again, not an event. It's, it's a, it's It's definitely
1: not an event. It's a process. And I'm still in that process. And it's still stretching me right now. You know, um, so I have, you know, 50 plus staff, with people around the world in different languages I love it. it it does it does it does stretch me if you'd gone all the oh, way yes. back to uh to my dad who who did indeed want me to be an accountant and said to him um you know this is what I would be doing he, he probably wouldn't have uh believed you Yeah, <laughs> he wouldn't have believed me well, he'd um, be
0: very proud I'm sure he,
1: he, he probably would um <laughs> uh because in his world you know he grew up in the 40s 50s and 60s and so when he had his career there was a lot more stability there was a job for life i remember when i left the first finance job i had my dad told me if you do this nobody will ever employ you ever again you will oh be untouchable goodness. because you are you are going to spurn a good chance and show that you're not loyal to the organization oh. which probably was the case possibly in the 60s and 70s but um it's Definitely. absolutely not obviously it's not the case uh, not the case now the, the, sort of the psychological contract is different, isn't it, at work?
0: Oh, completely. I mean, you're lucky um, to have people for two years, aren't you? <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Although I, I personally still have a bit of um, of that old school mindset in me. So I um, love, uh, you know, a lot of my key staff have been with me for a decade or so. And I say to, to them what I say to myself, you know, if you learn and grow with a job as the world expands, then you'll probably want to stay here because yes. it will get more interesting. If, uh, if the business outgrows you, then you'll just stick in what you're doing. But doomsday scenario, if you outgrow the business and, and a couple of people in my team have, then I say good luck to you. I'm, I'm happy to have helped you develop yes. and move on to the next thing. So I'm always happy when people leave, provided that they are going on something bigger and better and it's exciting them in their career. That's what I want for people. The, the last thing I want is for people to stay out of uh, out of fear or whatever. Yes, You know, that's uh, that's not what we want.
0: No, no, absolutely. No, that's a great philosophy to have. You talked earlier about being a, a lifelong learner. And yes. I know that you've recently achieved graduating with a, with a PhD. Do you want to tell us a bit about what spurred you on to, to undertake such a challenge and uh, what that brought for you in your career?
1: Yes. So there are multiple reasons why I thought a PhD might be a good idea. I suppose the core reason was I just wanted to do it, is the real answer. It, it appealed to me to stretch myself and and learn. Really, a PhD is learning about how to research. It's actually a learning experience. You're being trained in, you know, the correct procedure for analysing things scientifically. And it's, it's a real challenge to learn how to do that. So at core, I wanted to do it. However, I did give myself some suitable justifications. So, in, in the Lumina Learning business, I figured that creating psychometrics and digital resources, you have more credibility with clients if you can demonstrate you have been trained to a higher level. And I did my PhD on personality psychometric selection and development. So I was able to do a PhD on something unbelievably practical. I know many people do theoretical PhDs, but I was able to go in and say, I'm doing this PhD that's actually going to help my business grow uh, and look at the theory behind removing bias from psychometrics and making them more you know inclusive so there was a huge you know business reason you know for for doing it as as well mm. really so yeah. that would be the the secondary reason i mean interestingly often people do a phd because they want a career in academia and that that was actually probably in my case not necessarily a motive although i do you know some lecturing and it appeals to me to be credible and support universities um you know i'm not looking for a career in academia which is sort of maybe a different motive for doing a phd but probably fits with with doing it in the second half of life rather than you know in your 20s
0: and yeah i mean it's just got such a direct link into into lumina Mm. and uh and that bias element or as you say trying to eliminate bias as much as possible Mm. it's so relevant isn't it I'm interested if we were to rewind a few decades and talk to your teenage self, let's say, what um, advice would you give yourself?
1: Wow, what a good question.
0: <laughs> um,
1: what advice would I give myself? Well, I if you spoke to me, you know, at aged, you know, 16, 17, I would have been um, you know, at that time it was the late 70s. I I think I was, if I can recall anxious about what am I going to do with my life and what yeah. job should I do and so there was a lot of angst and anxiety around it and um, therefore probably not enough exploration so there wasn't you know, when I was brought up in Manchester at that time uh, I don't recall that, the, the concept of a coach or a career counsellor I'm not sure if it existed or if it did it hadn't penetrated Manchester so um, <laughs> I think it's good it would be good for for my younger self to have been exposed to some ideas that you know you can do many things in your life you need to do something you're good at something you're passionate about and you need to try different things it would have been good to have got that advice at an early age which is possibly partly why I go around in my business trying to proffer that advice for you know for, for other people so try different things be willing to willing to break with tradition be be willing to challenge is advice I would I would give myself it probably yeah. took me a decade to fully embrace the fact that I am a, a creative individual I think it was sort of drummed out of me through education and, and my early career and I was sticking you know on the tram lines and uh yes d- doing the job I think I it, it was 10 years into my career it, it, it suddenly dawned on me that I can be very creative and radical. It would have been great to have let that part of me out a, a bit earlier. So I guess I'd be encouraging, you know, my younger self just to be more expressive and open and explore mm. at an early stage, which of course is the advice I give to any any young person now. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes, to be authentic and to to recognise the the strengths that you have and not play to somebody else's tune.
1: Don't play someone else's tune. So, um, uh, de- definitely no hard feelings of my dad. He was doing the best to, to shape me,
0: <laughs> In, and, yeah, and,
1: and, and helped. And all parents do that, and I do that with with my kids as well. Whether I like it or not, you can't help it. <laughs> um, but, but help people go beyond, you know, their their early uh, conditioning and figure out what they really want to do themselves
0: brilliant advice so intrigued to know what's next what's next for you in your career or what's next for for you and lumina in the future
1: so the next evolution for me is is actually to continue to grow uh, the the business that I have and for that for me that means more people will complete the psychometric more people will experience the digital apps and more organizations hopefully will become more inclusive and democratic through using our, our resources and so on from a from a business point of view um, I really want to do that globally so um, I'm off to you know China in a couple of oh, weeks great. time um, to, to grow things there so partly it's it's sharing this globally translating it contextualizing it into different countries and I would like to make the, the business that I have like literally 10 times bigger than it wow. is that means we'll, we'll 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 impact 10 times you know more people in the world and we'll help workplaces be more you know inclusive on on 10 times yes. the scale um, so that's my plan Who knows whether I will (laughs) achieve it or not. I will have to sort of reinvent myself to do that. It will mean, you know, recruiting new. It'll mean bringing people into the organization that are, are, you know, potentially smarter and more developed and have different perspectives to me. So I'll need to, to get pretty good at doing that. I guess at the heart, I want to keep. I want to keep innovating. Is I guess what I'm saying. I want to, I want, and I want to work with people that want to innovate and keep doing, keep doing cool things.
0: Well, I hope you do because I think what you've developed and innovated is superb. So, well, know, it's kind of you to say of- that.
1: It's really kind of you to say that. And uh, no, anyway, really I know, thank is. you for. I know you are a, a, a brilliant professional in the industry, and you're, you've seen. A lot of different tools and instruments. So it is. It is really helpful for me to hear that you like the the innovation I love we've it. created. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> mm.
0: Well, I hope you go on to achieve that because I think it would be amazing for you, and it would be even more incredible for Lumina. And you know, to to extend it globally would would just be would be fantastic. So yeah,
1: it would, wouldn't it? You're right.
0: <laughs> it would, and I wish you every single bit of luck. Thank you. And I have no thank doubt you. that um, you will you will achieve a lot of that success so yeah thank you so much for joining me
1: my pleasure penny my absolute pleasure
0: thanks for listening to career stories from the field if you enjoyed this episode please do share it with your friends i've got many great guests still to come in this series so make sure you follow the podcast so you don't miss out okay well until next time bye for now